Macarion to Stokes, who's onside. Wagner! Here's Sims to put Stokes this from Southampton. They could finish the job here. It's Shane Long, and he has done it! Just a minute to play. That's stoppage time. Here's Letizia! Hello and welcome to episode, I think, 43 of the Saints FC podcast and um, back from a week-long injury, a dead leg or some sort, um, Tom Parker is joining me on the sofa again. Tom, welcome back. It's good to be back, John. Good to be back. Um, so, I mean, James White stepped in dutifully for you last week. He's, I think he did a pretty good job. I mean, are, are you feeling threatened, Tom? I'm always feeling threatened by other men. Uh, but yeah, James did a really, really good job. Very erudite, great opinions. I'm a, I'm a little concerned, won't lie. Yeah, I mean, well, I mean, that's why we got him in. Uh, basically, it was uh, his performance during our, um, shall we say, uh, our tired and emotional episode in the pub at Swansea. And he was the only one he spoke with any sort of clarity after the final whistle, which was quite impressive considering... Um, the celebratory drinks that had happened by that point. Yeah, he. I find I kind of feel like Fraser Forster and he's McCarthy. He's like the younger, slightly better version of me. But you know, I'm just going to keep on plugging on. It's fine. Okay. Well, uh, hopefully you'll be performing better than uh, Fraser Forster on this episode. Um, so yeah, once again, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to the Saints FC podcast. Um, as if you didn't already know, uh, you can follow us on Twitter at Saints FC Podcast, or you can email us at Saints FC Podcast at gmail.com. Uh, you can, of course, rate us on iTunes. We do love a, a good uh, rating. Um, if you wanted to give us three or four stars, maybe don't bother with the rating. If you want to give us five out of five, then we're very interested in, in getting your feedback. Um, tell a friend about the podcast. Show a friend how to how to download a podcast and, and get them subscribed. Um, we're going to be going through quite a few emails this week. My Saints FC podcast at gmail.com uh email inbox has been totally inundated this week Tom. so i've got a few questions to go through with you um starting things off i mean should we just cut to the chase and go straight in for everton to southampton one yeah it was um as expected saints came away from goodison park with nothing i think 1997 was the last time um we, we got a win there i mixed game i was listening on saints player um we couldn't seem. We didn't seem to get the ball. We had good chances, but um, we didn't seem to be able to get the ball. And they've obviously got some very, very talented players in Sigerson and Walcott and Tosin. And I think um, you know we had some good chances. And but did we deserve anything from the game? I thought at the end of it, we had the risk of sounding a bit sort of desperate with Mark Hughes or saying that Pickford should have been sent off. I I worry that we're you know people are starting to think of him as a bit of a moaner, which is a reputation he's got, and I don't think he's doing us any favours. No, I mean, it's one of these things, we, t- we discussed this last season, are Saints too nice? Um, and Mark Hughes, I think, it doesn't. he's not particularly nice to the match officials. Um, but yeah, sometimes he does come across a little bit whingy. But at least we now get like mentions and kind of like the national press and media because Mark Hughes has had a whinge. I mean, that seems to be about the only newsworthy thing about Southampton at the moment. Um, should I... 
I, I think maybe look, let's let's go to an email from Jason Dickey. So he sent uh, one of his long emails um, after the Everton game. And I think he's got quite a few questions in here. So let, let's deal with some of these. So, I mean, seems most of us see all the issues. The defence is suspect. Yeah. Um, the offence or attack uh, doesn't look neat, although it is looking a bit better. Um, and he's suggesting you know, maybe bringing Gabbiadini for Austin. Um, once Vestergaard is back, he thinks that's going to improve things. Maybe give him a run with Yoshida. And he also brings up a question mark about Mario Lamina um, and wonders, you know, if we might see Pierre Emil Hoiberg, who is so loved by the fans coming in. I mean, they're, they're all kind of fair points. Do you want to pick up on any of those, Tom? Yeah, I mean, I think the, how bad our centre-backs at defending crosses are is is something of incredible uh, beauty almost. They are so so panic when the ball comes into the box and Everton clearly knew that. Uh, and again, yeah, we, we spoke about this earlier, John. The the goal, you know, the, the header from Richarlison, you see our two centre-backs sort of, you know, turning around to look at each other whilst uh, five for five Cedric is getting clattered and is, you know... A sort of 45 degree angle whilst another forward looms over him and scores past us. It's exactly like the Glen Murray goal last season. It's exactly like the Huddersfield goal uh, at St. Mary's last season. And you just don't understand how it can happen. And I, I understand that in modern centre-back terms, um, you know, uh, Stevens isn't that big. He was what, six foot. Hoyt's a giant. And I don't understand uh, just why they are so inept at defending crosses. I mean, funny enough, I, I read a statistic about the Saints um, squad not too long before the game. And apparently we now have something like the tallest or the second tallest squad in the division. And obviously Fraser Forster is an absolute giant. So he obviously brings up the average and he's, he's not in the team. And Vestergaard, again, he's a huge, he's like, I think one metre 99, so just, just shy of two metres. Tallest, tallest outfield player, I think, in the Premier League. Yeah, and uh, and then the amazing thing is, is like despite all of that height, you know, Stevens is not short, Hoots is like pretty big, and yet we somehow still managed to find a role for Cedric marking the big man at the back stick. It it, it just seems insane. Um, I mean, we've talked about this time and time again. Hopefully we can stop talking about it this season at some point. Mark Hughes, if you're listening, please sort that out. Um uh, Jason says he didn't really have that many revelations, but he does pick up on one. Um, he thinks that the team is still having mental issues, um, especially in terms of finishing and the defence. Um, and he says it, you know, it might take all season to get over that, um, but you know, hopefully it won't take that long. Um, he also doesn't think it's fair to blame the board or Mark Hughes for those mental issues, which I think you know we can definitely argue that. Um, but he does have a revelation about James Ward-Prowse. He says, maybe I'm crazy, but I thought he had a great game. Smart passer, great delivery, may not be flashy, but then neither is Pierre-Emil Hoiberg and the fans love him. I think James Ward-Prowse has still got a bit to go to be a you know regular fixture in the starting lineup, but he thought he looked great. I mean, what, what did you make of James Ward-Prowse's performance? He's always been a bit of an enigma, isn't he? Because no we've spoken about it many times, we don't know what he is. What he clearly does, though, is he creates chances. You know, if you look at the chances we had on Saturday and the goal we scored, they invariably come from across from James Ward-Prowse. Um, so I, I do wonder in a team that, you know, Romeo gives you nothing uh, going forward. 
Lamina is in fits and, and spurts and almost, you know, tries to beat players, which is probably the hardest thing to do, you know, on the pitch because no one can move faster than the ball and Ward Prowse can ping that ball around better than anyone else on the pitch. And and I so I do think with, with, with Ward Prowse, uh, you know, he drives us mad as Saints fans. But what you can't argue is, is that whenever there's a corner, whenever there's an offensive free kick, you know, at least it looks like he can do something with it. And to be fair to James Ward-Prowse, it was from one of his corners that Saints got the goal. So he whipped the ball in, Lamina did the flick on, and Danny Ings got that goal. I mean, that was that was a positive to see that happen. Um, it's the question about James Ward-Prowse. You know, the, his free kicks and his dead ball um, and his distribution is, is, is pretty good. I mean, when he's crossing the ball in, it's really good. Sometimes his distribution, when he's on the ball during a kind of normal passage of pay, as it were. He's a bit sideways, a bit backwards. Um, you know, what 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 does James Ward-Prowse need to improve to become the player that we all kind of dreamt that he would be when he first broke onto the scene when he was 16 years old? I think almost like he needs to work out what kind of player he is. And I, I think this is probably part of maybe the coaching at Saints. No one really knows. So he kind of tucks in as a right side of a midfield three um is he the right side is he the wing back that you know many people think he might become i, I disagree i don't think he's fast enough and i don't think he's defensively minded enough um do, do saints maybe need to take a punt on him and give him freedom to do you know to really hurt teams to play between the lines but i i almost think that he he doesn't know what type of player he is um and i think we've got a few of these players i think Lamina's a bit like this where they kind of they're kind of just so, you know, in a, in a world where now players seem to be very specialised, we seem to have a lot of players who are just kind of quite good at, at their, whatever position they're being asked to play. And I wonder if, you know, with War Prowse, do they need to kind of give him a free roll, you know, behind the front too, see if he can really hurt people, play between the lines and take a shot every once in a while. Yeah, I mean, it's an interesting point about potential and perhaps, you know, what, what can James Ward-Prowse do? What could he do if he was given a bit bit more freedom? And this is kind of like the last point that Jason makes in his uh, email to us is, you know, is the reason why we still see James Ward-Prowse, we still see Wesley Hoot, we still see Mario Lamina, despite maybe their form or their performances not being up to the kind of standards that we might hope, the fact that these guys have more potential than some of the other players in the squad so, I mean, Jason talks about kind of like the player's ceiling as in kind of, you know, like for, for instance, Virgil van Dijk has an incredibly high ceiling as it were, because, you know, he, he's so good. He's so talented. He's very technical. Um, you know, mentally is probably his ceiling is, is the biggest issue. But is it the fact that, you know, someone like Wesley Hoot has the potential to be a better defender than Yoshida? So whilst Yoshida might be more reliable today... If Saints actually want to grow and become a better side, do we need to play Hoot, knowing that his potential is bigger than Yoshida's, and therefore you know he needs a bit of game time, a bit of experience, and then perhaps he can progress beyond where Yoshida is? Well, I don't know with Hoot. I mean, Hoot's already played a lot of games in Syria. He's a Dutch international, played a lot of games in Holland. Like how you know how much more does he need to play to show the player he is? I completely agree with you. Players have different levels. I think this was one of the interesting things that came up in the fans forum which was that they spoke about the players they looked to sign and they 
they the the club has an ethos of they want to sign players that are full that either at, and this was that they spoke about a youth level. Mm. They only want young young players that can become full internationals. If you're not a, if you're not a player that can progress into a full international, you are not the standard that we're looking for. And now virtually everyone who starts for Saints has an England as a cap player for the national team. Um, maybe Romeo is probably and, you know Charlie Austin probably some of the few except and. Yeah, I think probably some of the only exceptions to that. But I I just, I don't know. I, th- I think the problem we've got is that we've got a lot of players that are playing very within themselves and that aren't really stepping up. But I, I think, though, you know, a few negatives there, but there are lots of reasons to be positive, I think, after Everton. Um, John, thoughts on, on a few of those? Um, well, I mean, we definitely created chances. If you look back at the highlights reel... Um, there were a lot of opportunities for Saints to get goals. I mean, you look at uh, Cedric's shot, which Pickford spilled, and then it, it, it blows my mind that Pickford managed to save Danny Ings's follow-up to that because, I mean, it, it was from about three yards out and Ings hit it well. He hit it towards the goal. There was absolutely nothing wrong with what he did, but Pickford's save was you know, really quite amazing. You know, it was almost kind of a bit like Fraser Forster where he made the mistake, I think, at Liverpool and then clawed it off the line. It's kind of a similar sort of mistake and then recovery from Pickford. I mean, in the first half as well, we saw a header just go wide from Austin, a header just go wide from Danny Ings as well. You know, potentially chances that you might expect to see a slightly kind of like fitter or more informed striker put away. Um, so, I mean, there, there were lots of chances. So I think we should be positive about that. But the one thing I would say about watching the game is it never really felt like we were in control of the match. Um, and it always felt like Everton were the better side. Um, and then if you look at the Walcott miss towards the end of the game, they really, really should have had three goals. And it, it's a strange one because we definitely had chances and we definitely should have scored more goals. But somehow 2-1 to Everton, I think, still felt like the fair result. Yeah, I, you do get the impression that if we'd have snuck a tool, um, we'd have been super happy with it and Everton would have been pretty peeved about it. I think, yeah, I agree with you. When I was listening to it, um, the the changes in play seemed to be, you know, Saints would get a throw in and, you know, there'd be no mention of who was taking it on Saints player, but Everton was suddenly off possession. Like, we didn't seem to be able to... I mean, maybe if anyone was there, could, could email in and tell us what it was you know, really like, but just didn't seem Saints could get the ball. Um, and Everton have got some really, really good players. They've, they've, they've really stepped up. They've bought, you know, we take a punt on players that are 18 million pounds in the hope that, they, which is crazy, you know, in the hope that they're going to prove great. Everton, you know, they're going by Sigurdsson. They spend 45 million pounds on a player you know is going to hurt teams. They, you know, Walcott will hurt, if he stays fit, will hurt teams. And, and you know, we found that out on Saturday. Yeah, and it, it was Walcott, really, I suppose, who was kind of the star of the show for Everton, wasn't it? He, he was involved in the first goal, which was a really nicely worked um, set piece. You know, one of those ones which you work out on the on the training ground and then you try it out and it very, very rarely pays off. But I think he was standing behind our two-man wall and just escaped and then was able to kind of tuck it in. And then he was also the you know goal scorer turned creator uh, for the second goal with the cross, which we already spoke about, where Richarlison outmuscled um, our big man at the back, uh, Cedric. <laughs> um, 
I mean, one of the, some of the things that I found interesting about the game was, you know, starting with the four four two formation. Was that just because Vestergaard was injured and he didn't feel that Bednarek or Yoshida were ready to come in and play a full ninety minutes after the World Cup? I, I, I mean, I think that four four two certainly looks. If you look at the two games we've played this season, over ninety minutes, uh, one hundred and thirty of those minutes we've played four four two. Uh, of 130 of the 180 minutes and we've definitely looked better there's no doubt about that against Burnley we were much more threatening and against Everton we created a, a, you know, a lot more chances than we probably would have done last season under the sort of 5-3-2 I do think we have a problem though which is um, you know are we we've got players that we kind of seem to carry and Romeo uh, you know we love he gives 100% he clearly wears his heart on his sleeve but you do worry about the the game is it's incredible the quality of footballers now like they they they're so good at what they do that even like your you know your what Cantona would call like a water carrier you know they have to be so technically good and so able to not only be a water carrier but also when they need to that moment snap and turn the game and I do worry and I think we'll come on to Pierre Mihoyberg about whether we're kind of like we're carrying Romeo a little bit right now and it you know you can almost see like he gets in good positions the ball drops to him a lot outside the area whenever he does it's inevitably sort of shanked wide or blasted over and I, I wonder if like we need to be brave and we need to sort of say right we've got a player in Pierre-Emil Hoiberg who can do the aggressive tackling but he can also recycle that ball faster and I wonder if we need to do that for Saturday I, th- I think it wouldn't surprise me if Romeo was dropped he seems to have been on a bit of a downward turn. He, I mean, was it the Puel season when he got player of the season? I mean, it seems astonishing that he can, he can go from that level of performance to where he is um, today. Because you're right, in terms of the destroyer role, which is, you know, I suppose the space left over by Victor Wanyama, who, I mean, we were kind of discussing uh, earlier over dinner about how Victor Wanyama actually isn't a particularly good player football player in the traditional sense his distribution's pretty terrible yeah yeah control is off um but he plays such an important role on the pitch being that destroyer that just the the person who will break up the opposition attacks people that you know he's just a nightmare for attacking midfielders and Romeo isn't doing that at the moment he's he's when he does his destroying he's giving away fouls I wonder if that's about quality of players that they're playing with. I mean, like now, like when Yama has, you know, he actually doesn't play for Spurs very often anymore, but, you know, when he plays, he wins the ball back, he gives it to one of Ericsson, Lamella, Ali, Kane. You know, these are players that are really good, will really hurt the opposition. When um, Romeo was playing for Saints, you know, certainly in the Kuma times when he played, he had a better quality of player around him. You know, he had Mane, he had Pele, Tadic. And you do wonder whether, you know, there is almost like a, an element of, you know, he hasn't got, you know, he's not being carried by those players anymore. So he's trying to do stuff himself that he really shouldn't be doing. Yeah, and I, I suppose that's almost kind of where you'd want Mario Lamina to be able to be that sort of player. But he's not kind of that visionary in the terms of the kind of distributing midfielder. And one of the things that I noticed about uh, the game against Burnley is that we weren't using the width and the opportunity to kind of spread the ball across the pitch. And, you know, if you have a destroyer partnered with someone who's got incredible distribution, then then that can work. Anyway, I mean, I think 
a lot of us have noticed that Le, the Lamina Romeo thing isn't working at the moment, and I wouldn't expect if we saw changes on, on Saturday um, against Leicester City. Um, we've kind of talked a little bit about Southampton's defensive personnel and, you know, Hoot and Stevens playing in there. I'm, I'm still baffled as to why, you know, we haven't seen Yoshida and especially why we haven't seen Bednarek, who I thought was so great for Saints in our survival battle at the end of last season. Um, and then was fantastic at the World Cup. And, and then Yoshida as well has been fantastic at the World Cup. What, why are they missing from the first eleven? I don't know. I mean, I think it'll be interesting to see. I think Saturday's game is going to tell us a lot. We'll come to Saturday's game. I think you're going to, I think Saints fans are going to learn a lot from Saturday's game in terms of how flexible Mark Hughes is, how wedded he is to the sort of starting 11 that's kind of dominated against uh, Everton and Burnley. And I, I think you're right. I, I do wonder whether, um, you know, like I have a lot of love for Stevens, but he's not particularly good in the air and we keep getting found out. I Hoyt, you know, can ping those 60 odd balls around. But like really what we need, we need defenders who can defend like fundamentally, like we need, we must be like, you can imagine now Leicester are training. They're looking at the games weekend. They're watching the tapes. Like, I actually don't know who they've got instead of Vardy. I think they got rid of Slimani. I don't know if he's still there, but you can imagine they will be saying now, like every opportunity you get, get it to the fullbacks, get it down the wing and hit them with a cross because they must know that's where we're vulnerable. And, I, I, you know, obviously we hope Vestergaard is back. And I think Vestergaard, you know, it sounds silly to call it on one game, seems to, like Van Dyke did, almost like lift Saints. Yeah. Um, but you do wonder, like, what's Bednarek got to do to get a game? And I, what would be interesting is, I certainly think if you don't get a win on Saturday, on Tuesday we play Bournemouth, uh, Brighton, I think you're going to see a lot of these players come in and they're not going to want to lose the shirt. No, I mean, that, that, that's that's kind of very true. Um, it, it would just be nice that, you know, I don't... I, I suppose it would have been harsh to drop Hoot or Stevens after the nil-nil with Burnley because they've kept a clean sheet. Um, perhaps, you know, now, you know, Hughes was just saying, look... But, I mean, maybe the policy with Hughes is you keep the shirt until you play badly and then we might give someone else an opportunity and then that, you know, the players kind of understand the pressure on them. They understand there's people waiting the wings who are looking to take that opportunity and then we'll be desperate not to lose the shirt as well. Um, I, I suppose I've got one last question really uh, for you, Tom, and I'm just kind of wondering, when you looked at the Saints starting eleven against Everton and it's practically the kind of same sort of starting eleven as we would have had last season and last season we ended up in an awful lot of trouble. Are we able to move forward if we use the same players or shouldn't we be, you know, really trying to get the new signings in or really change something? I think of the new signings, if you look like Vestergaard would have played, Ings played, Elianusi was uh, was injured, uh, Armstrong wasn't probably 100% fit, I've come off injured and Gunn's a goalkeeper. I think that's everyone. Um, so I, I've, I don't worry about the. I'm not. I'm not supremely pessimistic right now. I think that the one thing that gives me a lot of sucker is that we are creating chances. Like you know, we are creating a lot of chances. I think we are a couple of players. We're, what we've got is I think we've got a few players that have self doubt. I think Charlie Austin's not playing to his full capacity. Redmond, who I think we'll come to. Yeah, he's actually playing really well, but needs a goal. And I almost think like like Charlie Austin needs a ball to like hit him and go in. 
you know, like Redmond's are saying, like Redmond needs a tap in. And I do think that. I think we're, we're creating chances. I think we're a couple of players finding themselves away from, you know, winning a few games. Well, I mean, hopefully that can all start um, with, with Leicester at the weekend. Um, so I think, you know, let, let's move on from the loss at Everton. I think it, it's not a surprise that we came back with no points at Everton. Um, you know, perhaps we created more chances than we normally do there. And I think we shouldn't be too down on Saints. You know, it's very, very early on in the season. Um, you can almost consider Mark Hughes as being a new manager at this point because he came in at the end of last season. He had a job to do, which was keep us up. And now it's a very different project. It's kind of like find mid-table to top half the table obscurity. You know, that that's the role now. And he's got to find out how to do that. Um, I mean, I suppose the other talking point for Saints from last week was the Saints fans forum. Now, I took the decision to skip on the fans forum and uh, head for the pub with some colleagues. Tom, you work in public relations for a big business, which has a lot of media attention. Um, Not unlike Southampton, although I think the turnover of the business that you work for is marginally higher than Southampton's. Um, I mean, from the PR perspective, and from your professional take mixed with your fans' point of view, what what did you make of it all? And did you learn anything new about Southampton? I, I think the club did a really good job. Um, they they managed it well. I, I'm not sure having Danny Ings on the panel really added something. I think I maybe would have swapped him for a more senior player, someone like a Stephen Davis, who can talk, you know, for many years of experience being with the club. I think I think like putting Danny Ings on the panel was a bit of a uh, like a softball thing to do to kind of get fans on side and make the fans not, you know, BBB as angry. Um, I thought overall the club handled it really well. I think there was a lot of frankness. I think there was a lot of honesty on both sides. Um, I think that from my listening of it, Kruger um, would have come out of it with a slightly enhanced reputation. He came across as a very pragmatic, sensible man. And um, I think him and Reed made a real effort to kind of break through this uh, sort of, glass castle that people think that like you know the, the fairy tale of football almost and people thinking like well you know if you sign if you sell a player for 40 million pounds you've got 40 million pounds to spend on a player and they made a real effort to kind of always be very grounded and always very realistic but they were very good i think you know there was a point where they were getting a lot of stick you know like what's happened to the five-year plan they had their numbers they you know i think they said at one point like over the last five years our average finish is like 9.2 you know in the in the premier league you know they had they had numbers it was hard to argue against so overall I thought it was good I thought Mark Hughes came across brilliantly and I think one of the key takeouts and we discussed him a few times already was was the Nathan Redmond bit and I, I can't remember whether Nathan Redmond was named explicitly I think he was but Mark Hughes made a really good point which is um, that you know Saints fans and I totally agree with this we need to get behind the team like we can't boo players when they try things we are very. We're all guilty of the frustration and the moans, but with Redmond in particular, like Redmond has come out of the blocks. Like everything you hear about Redmond this season, the way the club have done it, you know, he spent the summer training. He spent the summer getting fitter, mentally stronger. Other players were on holiday. He has started something like eight of the last nine games under Mark Hughes. He's looked dangerous in the two games this season, and I think like that was one of the main takeouts I took from it was that you know we've got some really talented players, but with Saints fans, we really need to get behind them. I suppose that, I mean, that's one of the frustrations is that 
probably Saints fans feel frustrated by the last two seasons and there is a lot of anger and um, I don't think people necessarily blame Pellegrino um, for the situation at the club. I think a lot of people feel like Pellegrino was put into a position that he should never have, you know, he wasn't ready for it is, is a theory. Um, and it's interesting, you mentioned that you thought Kruger and Reed came out from it well. I mean, I've, I've heard that people thought Reed kind of defended himself quite well, but um, I've also heard opinions that Kruger kind of like melted under the spotlight and being faced with, you know, slightly rabid looking uh, Southampton fans. Yeah, real people. The kind of, exactly, the kind of people that he's probably been protected from, you know, in his corporate lifestyle. He hasn't had to look at us, uh, us human trolls that <laughs> end up, you know, in the Northern and the Kings and the Itch and the Chapel every, every week. He's normally nicely kind of safely tucked away in his uh, corporate uh, seats. But, I mean, could, could you, was there a chink in the armour for Kruger? I mean, one, one of the other things was you know, what's happened to the Southampton way. Did we, fight, did we get an answer to that? I, I, th- I think that was, that, was, that was quite a lot of pressure on that. And like, what's our five-year plan? What's the, what's the Southampton way? I think they, they were absolutely committed. And this was, um, you know, they, they, were, they were still absolutely, according to them, committed to Southampton way, still committed to bringing young players in. I think the challenge they, they essentially said is, that young players now have to be so good. And, you know, we look to sign young players that, you know, they will not sign young players unless they are of international quality. They have to have an international career in front of them, otherwise they're not going to get near that. Not in the first time squad, they're not even going to get to be on the club's books. So I think we have to recognise as, as fans that the quality is incredibly high and we'd all like to see more young players come through. It's the best thing about football. You know, we'd all like to see Heska given a chance. We'd all, uh, but realistically, like, who's Heska's going to play instead of? We'd all like to see Sims given a chance. Sims is probably the one. Ward Prowse is still in and about the team. Stevens is still in and about the team. So they've got, we have got some players in there. What we've probably not got is a really exciting play, young player that's come through, uh, which Sims was. And obviously, he's gone. So I think this takes us on to the next part of our show, Tom. And it's, um, I, I, I kind of, I joked with our listeners that the reason we were late to recording this podcast, we're having a day of mourning for Josh Sims uh, leaving Southampton. Um, for me, he was that exciting, explosive young player. He, he, was the, he was probably the one player out of all the youth products that we've seen over the kind of like show their faces a little bit in the last couple of years. Hesketh as well, but Josh Sims, really did it on the big stage in Premier League games in EFL Cup semi-finals and every time he came on he caused havoc you know he's not necessarily conventional sophisticated player but he is he you know he's explosive and that is what I found so excited about uh, exciting about him and I am disappointed he's he's gone to Reading because I to be honest I was hoping that after his injury of last season and all the trouble with us going into the relegation battle and everything, that you can maybe understand why Pellegrino wouldn't use him. And also, he's not; he's definitely not a Pellegrino-type player. But I think with Mark Hughes, that maybe he would get a chance. Maybe it would be, you know, a couple of League Cup games, a couple of substitute appearances, then maybe he could kind of broken into the, into the first team. Um, I'm really sad to see Josh Sims go. I mean, he, he was my kind of like great hope, I suppose, for the youth team breaking into the first team. Um, Tom, 
I mean, we kind of like jokingly call ourselves the Josh Sims fan club. How are you feeling in this sad, dark time? We all love it. I mean, it, like he has come up probably he in terms of disproportionate mentions on this podcast, like games actually played. Josh Sims probably up there. Yeah, it's really it's sad. What I would say is that maybe we, um, you know, Italian teams do this a lot where they loan out younger players, and there is a very strong argument. And you know, we would say it about Walcott when Saints when Saints had Theo Walcott. One of the worst things that probably happened to Theo Walcott was going to Arsenal. You know, like not playing games. There's you know. Saints fans will always tell you that maybe Walcott would have been a better player 10 years on if he'd have, if he'd have been signed by Arsenal but loaned back to Saints. And, um, you know, we've seen Stevens play a lot of games in the Championship. He's undoubtedly a better player for it. Championship's a really good league, high standard. It's tough. There's a lot of games. I hope that Sims comes back as a better player and I've got no doubt he will. I just hope he comes back. Yeah, I, I really hope he comes back as well. Um just because I think our, our regular listeners would be upset if we didn't do some of the highlights of Josh Sims' uh, Saints career, which has been short-lived. There's not many minutes on the pitch so far. Um, and, and hopefully we're going to see him come back and actually you know, totally tear up the Premier League in the 2019-20 season. Oh, my God. Is that, that how we're, we are just careering through this century, aren't we? How did that happen? Um, okay, so before I get lost in a uh, kind of a midlife crisis that has suddenly been brought on by realising that the next season is going to be 2019-2020, Josh Sims, what's your favourite memory? Is it the EFL Cup semi-final or is it humiliating Ronald Koeman on his return to St Mary's? Has to. Oh, I think the, the 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 obvious choice is the first, but the connoisseur choice, connoisseur choice is the latter. And I was like, because it was, wasn't like the first minute and Charlie Austin scoring. So those are two always fun things, really early goals and Charlie Austin scoring and against Ronald Koeman and against Everton. Yeah, I mean, it's, for me, it's that, it's that one. I mean, that, that, that was just quite wonderful. And I loved how the uh, pundits really kind of stuck it to Ronald Koeman afterwards. Like, Ronald, I think you were quoted on saying that Southampton didn't have any decent youth players, um, you know, when your time was here. And there's none that they should break into the first team. But Josh Sims, he's just totally, uh, you know, ruined you. And, and that. And, I mean, that was just, there was so much joy to be taken from that. But I mean, his explosive break, you know, from box to box um, at Anfield to send us to Wembley. I mean, what a moment. I mean... Yeah, it's it's insane that he's had so little game time and we can pick on two really fantastic, fun moments. And I think maybe that's one of the reasons why I'm so sad to see him going to Reading is because, you know, what little I've seen of Josh Sims, I've, I've really, really thoroughly enjoyed. I just hope he doesn't become like a Ronnie Eklund style memory, you know, like a sort of player that plays very few games, but everyone has a huge amount of affection for. I, I hope that, he goes to Reading, he plays a lot of games, he gets knocked around, he gets smacked around a bit in the Championship and he comes back a better player for it. Yeah, I mean, hopefully, any Reading fans who are listening to this podcast, I mean, firstly, you're listening to the wrong podcast, but secondly, I really hope you enjoy Josh Sims. I hope you have an absolutely fantastic season with him. I think he could do an awful lot of damage. And really, this brings me on to my next question, Tom. What is the future for Southampton's academy? If we're not a club that is willing to give young players a chance, you know, if it's all so tense, all so much about kind of securing Premier League TV money revenue that we're not going to give our youth players a chance, 
do we just cut loose with the academy and just forget about it? Is it is it worth the investment anymore? Well, you got to have the academy because you know we'll occasionally turn up a gem that will pay for the rest of it. But if you look at the games we played, like we played Cedric against Burnley, clearly wasn't really fit. Clearly, you know, Target could have played that. You know, you can't argue that Cedric gives you something in the air. So Target, you know, so the Target, Target is a very very good player. Can play right back. Um, my worry is that when we have opportunities to play young players. Stevens and Ward Prowse aside, we don't sort of seem to go for it. And I think like Target against Burnley, Target had a very good preseason. It's a good example of where like a young player could have come in and done a really good job. And in the end, you know, he played Cedric. He got taken off after fifty-five minutes. I mean, I'm guessing Mark Hughes is looking at that and thinking, well, my number one role in my job, you know, top of my job description is keep Saints in the Premier League, and he's not willing to take that risk. And It'll be interesting to see what happens against Brighton in the Carabao Cup. Um, hopefully we'll start to see some of the youth coming through. So, shall I get us on to some of the emails, I think? Um, so, Ryan, uh, Ryan Borowski, he emails in to say, when do you think we're going to see Hoiberg? Saturday. Uh, that's a very quick one. Uh, Jason Dickey has emailed in. I think we've probably, we've, we've covered a lot of your questions, Jason. So hopefully you don't mind if we skip over this one. Um, Neil West, Neil Weston, sorry, Neil, Neil Weston. Great pod. Thank you, Neil. Um, enjoy listening here in Memphis, Tennessee. I like that as well. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Um, not sure if this has been used for others in the league, uh, like Mo Salah, but here's an idea for a chance. Um, Tom, do you know the uh, tune of More, More, More by the Andrea Troon Connection? Yeah, more, yeah so do you, do you want to have a go at doing this? I mean, what, what's your eyesight like? Can you, can you see the words from here? Eyesight's uh, unimpeachable. Uh, singing less so, I would say. So I'm going to do this. I apologise in advance. So, oh, oh, oh. Elianusi, Elianusi, oh, oh, oh. Elianusi, Elianusi, mo, mo, mo. Elnus, why is he Elnusi? And then it's mo, mo, mo. How do you like it? How do you like it? I mean, yeah, it goes on. I mean, uh, yeah, it's, it's, got, it's got vibes. You think it's got vibes? I mean, has it got more vibes than our suggestions from last week? Were, were you listening last week? Yeah. I mean, I quite like this disco theme that we're going down. I mean, the Danny Ings to Daddy to, you know, Daddy Cool by, is that Boney M, I think, yeah? And then, you know, let's bring in more, more, more. Yeah, I mean, Neil, fantastic. Thank you very much. Yeah, we, we, we quite like that. Um, Neil would also love to see more of Gabbiadini and Ings starting together. And he says, Manolo's got more talent than all of our strikers combined. Surely Mark Hughes can see that. Come on, you saints totally agree with that very final statement there neil thank you very much for emailing in um simon from wareham uh he says in my opinion the romeo ship has sailed um he offers nothing but giving away free kicks and getting yellow cards pierre emohoibo proved countless times last season he has far more in his danish locker than oriel and full deserves to start the next game alongside lamina tom I mean, we, we've kind of discussed a lot of this, but I mean, what what what's our response? I agree. We like we have we, the ridiculous thing is, I think a lot of Saints fans will be thinking, and I'm kind of halfway there now, which is we kind of have a game on Saturday. We have to win three games into the season. 
Yeah, we are just like last season. We are churning through our easy games early on, and pretty soon we're going to start playing the Liverpools, the Tottenhams, uh, the Chelseas, the Arsenal's, and we ain't going to get nothing out of probably those games. So we need to start winning games. Hoiberg for me gives you much more of a box to box threat. Um, he rouses the fans. Yeah, like for me, he has to start on Saturday. Fingers crossed we'll be getting our wish. Uh, Simon also talks about the defensive situation that we've already discussed. And he also says that Charlie Austin has to be a substitute as he simply isn't mobile enough. Ings appears to offer far more pra- uh, far more physically and technically and would pair up brilliantly with Gabby. There's a lot of people here looking for the Gabby-Ings combo. Um, if we make these changes, we'll be more than fine, especially with Redmond seemingly giving 110% to improve and Ings inevitable 12-goal season brackets injury pending. Um, we surely have to win games at home and get St. Mary's rocking again. I mean, picking up on that, so Redmond's getting some more love here as well, doing some good work over the summer. Charlie Austin coming in with some more criticism. Whereas Redmond has been out on this, you know, training summer camp, whatever, whatever you call it, and come back looking fitter and sharper than you've ever seen Redmond looking. Charlie Austin looks like he's spent the entire summer in a pub beer garden, doesn't he? Yeah, it's probably a reason for that. I don't know. I mean, the club must know how fit they are because they do all these tests and they do all this body fat and they do all this lung capacity and they do all this. So they must know he's fit. Um, I don't know whether Charlie just has this physique where he just doesn't look like a footballer, um, like a, certainly like a modern footballer. He's almost a bit like, you know, I was watching uh, Matt Sissier's 100 goals in Premier League last night on Sky. He looks a bit like a lot of the players we had then, like Gordon Watson and Shipley. Like, you know, they looked a bit different uh, to how they do now. But yeah, I think, I almost think like what Charlie Austin should do next time he scores a goal, which hopefully is very soon, he should take his top off, and hopefully everyone can see that he's he's ripped. Because if, if uh, you know, show show us the money, Charlie. Is what I'm trying to say here, because a lot of fans doubt it. I'll tell you what you'll see if Charlie Austin takes his top off. You're going to see a beer gut that looks probably quite similar to mine or yours, Tom. You know, oh my word, uh, Charlie. If you're listening, um, come on, mate, sort it out. You, 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 you know, you, you know where the goal is. Just get yourself into the physical shape that, that you can be, you know, banging them in again um, many, many times over the season. So another email to pick up on. It's hard you, quite a few. Uh, Rob Sykes emails in, long-time listener, first-time writer. Um, I wanted to share my thoughts on a couple of things. During our rise from League One and the first years back in the Premier League, um, it felt as if most of our players were performing at their peak or even exceeding expectations. Now, when you look at the squad, um, you think that's pretty strong, but they haven't really performed for the past two years. If you list out all of the players who are not fulfilling their potential, it's pretty lengthy. And um, Rob chooses Fraser Forster, uh, Wesley Hoot, Mario Lamina, Nathan Redmond, Manolo Gabbiadini, Buffal, and he puts an etc. etc. on the end as well. And he asks us, what do you put this down to? Lack of leadership on or off the field? And he also wonders if the club has lost its vision. What's our identity? And whilst we have super talented players, none are the types of personalities that define the identity of the team. And the way that characters such as Fonte, Lalana, or Ricky once did. Um, and in addition to that question, he also says, do you think it's fair to say that the scouting policy um, in brackets, the black box needs to be play needs to place a higher value on personality rather than the physical attributes and stats. I think it's a really good point. I mean, it's one we spoke about many times last season is leadership. 
and um, players that can galvanise other players to do great things. And I think, you know, you mentioned Fonte there, certainly not flavouring them up for Mark Saints fans, but when the dust settles and in the cold light of day, you know, Fonte was a leader. He grabbed that team. Ricky was a leader. Lalana, all right, acted like a bit of a dick at the end, by all accounts. But, like, you got the feeling they were playing for the shirt and they were playing for the badge. Um, how many of the current team can you really say that about? I, I don't know. I think probably only a handful. Um, I do think that we've had a lack of leadership since Van Dyke. Um, I really believe that. And I, I think we've lacked a kind of player for other players to look up to. And I think that, you know, that, how many times do we see Saints lose the plot? You know, like it, it seems to be a lack of someone on the pitch to be able to calm everyone down. And maybe this is why, you know, what we have seen, Mark, is a lot more British players. Um, you know, the majority of the team seems to be British now. And I wonder if there is something in that and where he wants people that maybe he feels to be more invested. You know, someone like Danny Ings was invested a lot in the club emotionally. Maybe he wants that in his players. Yeah, and it's, it's interesting, actually, because I think if you look at the types of players that we've brought in over the summer... I would say Vestergaard, you have a potential future captain. I mean, it, it, the game against Burnley, he already looked like a leader. He was the commander of that defence. You know, his personality shone as, as much as his enormous frame and his uh, clear ability. Um, Stuart Armstrong as well, he's kind of like the understated leader, the kind of Stephen Davis, you know, nice, tidy, does his job well um, and can kind of lead, lead on the pitch, lead by example, exactly. So, you know, some of the younger players uh, to look up to. And Danny Ings, you're right, he's invested in the club. You know, it would be an emotional thing for him to be a leader. And perhaps, you know, may, maybe we've looked at the likes of the Booth, of, you know, Buffal and then Daniels Valdo and you can look at Carrillo, um, you know, some of these players which definitely didn't have that sort of leadership quality and perhaps that is something that we are starting to look for. Um, another thing that Rob Sykes adds, he says, on a side note, uh, whilst I love the podcast, and yeah, nice, Thanks, yeah, nice little compliment, that intro music is a pain and far too long. Please change it. And then he gives a winky face, right? So I then turn to um, the King of Couches, who can be found lurking on Saints FC Reddit. And he says, my favourite podcast intro. Every time this gives me chills. So, I mean, what is it, Saints FC Podcast fans? Email us, saintsfcpodcast at gmail.com. Tweet us at saintsfcpodcast. The intro music do you love it? Do you hate it? Are you totally indifferent? Tom, you look like you're ready to give an opinion on this. But isn't, can I say something about the intro music, isn't it? John, that's your music. You wrote, I mean, I don't want to bias everyone, but that's John's handicraft. That's his child. That's one of his, you know, that's what he does. Come on, guys. I mean, we are looking at my 2008 failed side hustle, you know, whereas, yeah, exactly, where the podcast is now my 2018 um, side hustle, you know, uh, once upon a time it was, uh, you know, Electro. Um, (laughs) Anyway, so, yeah, I mean, maybe don't go too heavy on me, but, you know... Yeah, I mean, the, the advantage of having my own music in there is that there's no royalty issues. We don't have any problems with hosting it on, on Spotify. So um, I think we did have Errol Alcum before. And 
Um, yeah, I mean, I, I do like Harold Elkin. He's big. I mean, for people like me and Tom, who's kind of like peaked uh, in 2008 in, in the electro dance music scene. In fact, that's how we, we know each other, basically yeah, exactly. through DJing and yeah. back in those days. Errol Alkin is, you know, he's, he's, he's one of the guys that made it, but um, unfortunately his label wouldn't let us have the original in, intro music. So we had to go with that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, there we go, Rob. There, there's a little bit of a long-winded explanation for why that is. Um, some people seem to like it. Obviously, some people hate it. And perhaps we should just move on from chatting about music and talk about Southampton versus Leicester this weekend. Tom, what are your thoughts on the game? Uh, as I say, it seems crazy, but it does look like a game we have to win. Um, I hope that Hughes is is brave. I think it's quite clear we do need some changes. I think all this talk about um, Gabbiadini innings seems totally sensible. You know, Gabbiadini plays off the shoulder, can make clever runs, picks up scraps. Ings seems to drop deep, cause a bit of chaos. I hope I would love to see Gabbiadini come in for. Charlie Austin, I think Charlie Austin can still do a job late in the game, bullying people, bringing other players into the game. I'd love to see Hoiberg come in for Romeo. I think we need to be a bit more dynamic, a bit more positive at home. And then I guess the question is, what's what's the formation? I, I mean, do we change centre backs? Is Vestiar going to come back? There's a lot. There's a lot of questions on Saturday, and I think it will tell us a lot about the rest of the season. I mean, it is going to be fascinating. It's almost like you're looking forward to two p.m. when the lineup is announced. Uh, you know, more than more than three p.m. because there's still a lot of question marks. We haven't found our best 11 yet and we are going through a process and there's a lot of positives, I think, that we can take out of the first two games of the season, certainly going forward. There's quite a few negatives in terms of defending leadership. Um, but yeah, I mean, it's, it's going to be pretty, pretty interesting. I mean, I was saying to you earlier this evening before we started recording, Saints really owe Leicester a drubbing, don't we? I mean, last season, the low point really was Puel coming back and schooling Southampton in an incredibly embarrassing 4-1 home defeat. That's that's not the kind of performance you expect to see from Southampton against any opposition at St Mary's. I mean, even Man City would be upset with losing 4-1 at home. Yeah, And you certainly didn't expect it from a Leicester team who at the time looked bang average. Um I'd say the two worst results, two most disappointing results last season were both at home. They were Leicester at home and Palace at home. Um, I think Saints need to win. Uh, it's obvious. I think they, you know, they need to send a message to the fans. I think if they can do that, um, then we go into a away game at Brighton and we go to Palace. Um, you know, so those, you know, we get three wins on the bounce. Whole season looks different. Um, but yeah, it's a big game. A big game on Saturday. It sounds crazy to say it three games in, but it's a big game. Would you say it's must win? I would say that if they don't win, questions are going to be asked. And I, I, I think it's going to get uncomfortable. And, you know, Saints fans haven't got a lot of patience over the last few years. And uh, I don't think, you know, they have to win on Saturday to put everyone's nerves at, at rest. So, I mean, one of the questions um, I was asked by BT Sport last weekend for the kind of like little 20-second bits to camera that, that I do for them on Saints um, was... You know, how long would you give a new? Uh, would you give your manager if things start going pear shaped? And their question was, you know, if your club was bottom at Christmas, would you expect the manager to go? I mean, it would seem crazy to start talking about being bottom at Christmas, but I suppose you know, a run of bad results. We're kind of not, you know, you'd hope maybe to beat Burnley at home. You'd hope maybe to get 
a point at Everton away. You'd probably expect to beat Leicester at home, but it's quite feasible that after three games where we might have expected to have you know, maybe a maximum of seven points, probably five points, that we could end up with just the one after three games. And, and then that the pressure's on immediately then, isn't it? It is, but I think as well, we have to look at it. Um, we have to maintain a sort of bit of distance and look at it um, objectively. Or subject, I can't remember which one's which. Um, you know, Burnley last year had one of the best away records in the league. I think they, they lost like four games away from home or something. They had a phenomenal away record. We never get anything at Everton. You know, we never get anything. Like, like most Saints fans can't remember the last time. Kevin Davis scored the last time we got anything at Everton. So I think that, you know, like if you just said to Saints fans, you're going to draw it home to Burnley, most would have gone, okay, Burnley are fitter, sharper, played three, fresh, three competitive games already. You're going to lose away at Everton. Well, you know, we always lose away at Everton. As long as we don't get hammered and we put in a good show, which arguably we did. Game season, really, you know, Saturday's the game. Saturday's the one that's there for the taking, um, you know, against a depleted Leicester team. We hope well won. Uh, let's go and win it. Good rousing tactical team talk, but I'm not quite finished yet with Saints Leicester. Um, so Vardy's missing, but Ian Nacho loves a goal against Saints. And I tell you what, the player that we missed out on um, in the summer transfer window where... Uh, apparently Leicester and Southampton both met Norwich's asking price, was for Madison. He looks a decent player, doesn't he? We've we've missed out on a really, really strong player there and someone who's gone from the Championship into the Premier League seamlessly. What, what's amazing is that, yeah, he wasn't like some big secret in the Championship. Everyone knew about him. He was England under 21, incredible stats in terms of goals and assists and chances created and, and you know, telling passes in games why are only Saints and Leicester going for that like, you'd think like Spurs need players in the squad Arsenal need players well I mean I'm not they're good yeah they shouldn't hoover up all the good players but um, yeah that looks like the player we missed out on there's an argument probably we wouldn't have got Armstrong had we got Madison um, time will tell who will be the better player but yeah he is a player that yeah ironically that's the sort of game where Romeo does play and is told to stick on Madison, and he does that. And we, you know, if he does a good job, then we all forget about dropping Romeo again. Yeah, we all get made to look like total fools. Yeah, you know? <laughs> all Southampton, all Saints FC podcast presenters and listeners, and anyone who's emailed or tweeted in this week. Um, yeah, I mean, maybe he can prove us wrong. Um, do we talk much about Saints versus Brighton? It's a Tuesday night League Cup away game. I mean. It, unfortunately I'm not going to it's a game that I'd love to go to normally normally I would a bit of midweek within touching distance of London is is always welcome but um uh no it's a family holiday next week in Cornwall so um no Saints for me um but yeah I mean what what to expect from that Tuesday night fixture well you you've got to think that Brighton are going to be thinking our priority is again stay in the Premier League Right, they, you can't imagine they're going to play our first team uh, in, a, in a cup competition that they probably don't even want to progress in. Um, so you'd hope that they will put out a second string team. Now, in theory, looking at the squads, like the Saints second string has players like Hoiberg, has players like Yoshida, Bednarek, uh, Gabbiadini, if that's our second string, Angus Gunn. That's a bloody good second string. So you'd hope if it's second string against second string, Saints would win. Um 
Yeah, I think a lot of it's going to depend on the result on Saturday. If we get a good result on Saturday, you will see um, maybe uh, players, the second string come in. If we don't get a good result on Saturday and players are still struggling for form and struggling for goals, he might be tempted to play a stronger team just so they can, you know, like Charlie Austin, score a goal, get confidence back. Yeah, I mean, also I'd hope that we might see some of the youth players getting a chance as well. I think the under-23s did very well against Stoke um, earlier this week, 4-1 victory. So it'd be nice to see some of those players getting an opportunity in the League Cup, which I think is perhaps going to be the only opportunity that they're going to get this season. You mentioned that Brighton's priority is going to be staying in the Premier League. I think that's probably going to be Southampton's priority um, once again this season. Um, One of the players you mentioned uh, in that was Angus Gunn. And I suppose that brings me on to the next thing. Say, so, I mean, it wouldn't be normal for us on the Saints FC podcast to talk about Manchester City. Um, but you had the privilege of going to the, the film premiere of the Manchester um, City film that came out on Amazon this week. Yeah. And the, I mean, you have got some pretty interesting stories to tell, some which are related to Saints, I suppose, with the Angus Gunn stuff, but also some which are just probably quite interesting from a football fan's perspective as well. Yeah, so I went up to Manchester um, to to see the premiere of the series called All or Nothing. It's really good. Um, yeah, a lot of interesting stuff. First thing, players are either tiny or they're huge. So, like, you know, Man City players, like, all the players were there, like, company, Ottoman, big guys. But then what's amazing is how small, um, the, obviously, uh, Guardiola, here, the trust he has in smaller players, you know, to the technically are brilliant. Um, Guardiola, is, as a man... Is an incredible like he walks into the room and lights all eyes on him. Incredibly magnetic personality, lights up a room, very charismatic. And you know, like you could just imagine players loving him. He he seemed really cool. Um other things from the from the from what I saw, you know, um he is an, he has a style. Like and I think this is one of the things that Saints fans would love to see in a manager, but he has an un swerving commitment to the way the game should be played and the game should be played in a beautiful way and the beautiful way is beautiful passing beautiful control one touch maybe two every single player on that pitch can pass the ball as well as anyone and uh, yeah it, it it really comes across uh, one of the things that was interesting i spoke to a, a journalist who who uh, covers man city and he said the saints have got a fantastic player in angus gunn um he said that he is a true modern goalkeeper in that he can play you know he plays with his feet he can you know, he's comfortable outside the box he's comfortable on the ball that man city uh sold him because he wanted to go because he wants first team football and the the feedback i got was that you know saints have stolen a march and done a really really good bit of business there so you never know tuesday we might see the first first bit of that business yeah, I mean, that, that is quite interesting. I, I kind of presumed that Angus Gunn had been shipped out by Man City because he wasn't a Pep Guardiola-style goalkeeper. So maybe he was more of a Joe Hart kind of traditional goalkeeper. But you're telling me that he's got he's got the full complement in his locker. And it does kind of ask the question, really, if we've got a player who's come to Southampton because he's hoping to get first-team action... I mean, what's been said to him, is it just kind of wait in the wings, wait until McCarthy makes a mistake, then you're going to get your opportunity? Or is he going to say, or has he been promised the cup competitions until he proves that you know he should be the Premier League starter? Um, I mean, obviously the writing on, looks like it's totally on the wall for Fraser Forster. It doesn't seem like he's going to get anywhere near the first team again. Um, but yeah, I mean, Angus Gunn, that is interesting to hear. 
Um, the other thing, going back onto the style thing, can you tell me about how the players are dressed? Because when you told me this earlier, I found it quite amusing. And then compare that to Pep Guardiola, who I think I'm going to quote you here. He's described as a cool dad. I mean, the players are, like, are amazing because they are um, they're good looking guys, obviously in top shape. They're all on like a hundred grand a week. At one point in the documentary, someone makes a joke about Carl Walker being on two hundred thousand pounds. De Bruyne says that Carl Walker's on two hundred thousand pounds a week, which is insane. But anyway, you know, it's fine. I don't care. But like, the players are unbelievably badly dressed. They look like they have like a pile of like Scrooge McDuck style vault of terrible clothes that they would dive into and then kind of swim to the top and whatever they're wearing when they get to the top, that's what they wear for the day. Like terrible ripped jeans, diamantes on their T-shirts with big logos, um, beanies, scarves with like vests. They look awful. Like you think they've got all that money. They just go to like Tom Ford or Gucci and just say, look, I've got loads of money. Can you just dress me well? Like dress me as a grown up. But they don't. They all look terrible. Um, Guardiola on the other hand like comes into the room like beautiful pair of jeans really smart pair of, like black trainers black sweatshirt like, like a hoodie I think it was but like the guy looked like super cool He, you can imagine they like look at him and be like that's what I want to be in a few years this sort of cool dad he is super cool dude I have to admit I dread to think what I would have worn if I was a millionaire at the age of like 23 years old um, I would have definitely been in the Scrooge McDuck part. See, I would have gone to like, you know, all of those big brands, or whatever, just gone out in London and, and I said, I've gone to every one of those shops and just be like, yeah, give me everything. And then I just get dressed in the morning and just throw it all together. Yeah, I mean, who knows? Right. I mean, I think once we've moved on to fashion tips for our listeners, it's probably time to, to move on to the next subject, which again, I mean, we're going totally hipster here, but um, R. Kelly or Russell... Uh, has tweeted in to ask us about um, Saints kind of partnership, uh, which means that you could now spend your Bitcoins at St. Mary's, I think, or on tickets. And apparently the kind of idea behind this is that it's going to make it much more difficult for touts to buy and sell tickets. I mean, I don't think Southampton have much of a problem with touts. I mean, we couldn't even sell out the Wembley semi-final against Chelsea. But I mean... What, what do you think? Cryptocurrency is now being spent in St. Mary's. I mean, this is a few steps beyond the kind of first ever football game that I went to, where it was a little bit more basic than that. Well, I remember like you used to go to the ground and there was a woman behind the, the, the turnstile and used to give her your ticket and she used to buzz you through. And obviously that's all gone. I, I've, I work for a big tech company. I've never understood cryptocurrency. I can't even pretend to understand it. It does seem to be like a classic saints though, just about two years behind like whenever you know other clubs would have done it, but yeah, God no, I, I can't. I don't even know what to begin to say about it. Do you think this is why we haven't forked out you know the sixty-five million pounds from Virgil Van Dijk um, because we invested it in Bitcoin at the peak and uh, you know now it's now it's plummeted. I mean, the only thing falling faster than the value of the pound is Bitcoin at the moment, isn't it? Oh, and Turkish lira as well. Oh, actually, you know when you, when you look at the pound, you look at the Turkish lira. Maybe Bitcoin isn't such a, such a bad shout. Um, Anyway, Russell, I mean, I, I don't really know what to make of it. I, I bought £100 of Bitcoin, um, I don't know, about a year ago. And at, at first of all, it went up, up, up. And then I was just thinking, God, if I'd, you know, remortgaged my house on 
you know, took all that money out, invested in Bitcoin, I could have paid off the mortgage after about two weeks. But now I can tell you that I have less than a hundred pounds worth of Bitcoin. So, so it's an incredibly volatile market. Um, but yeah, I, I don't know if I'm going to end up spending those Bitcoin in St. Mary's or not. Um, probably not. I'll probably just stick with pounds sterling for now. Yeah. Um, so I suppose that, that really brings us towards the end of the podcast. Um, some exciting news. I'm going to be speaking to Klaus Lundekvam uh, tomorrow evening. Loads of you have already uh, messaged in with tweets of questions that you'd like to ask uh, Klaus. Um, I had a little discussion with him yesterday evening to, to discuss the interview and we are going to get into some of the deeper, some of the darker stuff. So those of you that are hoping for an adult conversation hopefully won't disappoint. And then the the other quite exciting bit of news is... um. James Beattie uh, has said that he's up for doing a podcast as well. So if you have your thoughts about James Beattie, it's probably going to be a couple of weeks before we do that one. Um, but yeah, if you want to start thinking about what you'd like to ask James Beattie, all the usual places at Saints Sue Podcast on Twitter or Saints Sue Podcast at gmail.com. I think that's it, Tom. Is, is there anything else you want to bring to the agenda at this point? Any other business? I consider this closed. Okay. Thank you very much for listening once again and for sticking with the Saints FC podcast. Um, I, I did mean to actually mention that um, the listener numbers and the download numbers have been absolutely great. I know that we've got a whole load more listeners. I really hope that you're enjoying um, listening to the Saints FC podcast. We really, really appreciate you, you, you coming in and listening. Do let us know your thoughts email in um we'll likely read it out or at least it will kind of contribute to some of the discussion at some point um so yeah thank you very much for tuning in everyone um it's bye bye from me and it's uh, goodbye from me cheerio